Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jeff Myers, on how people of faith can transform the world by speaking and living the truth. Scripture tells us through the writings of the Apostle John that Jesus is that reality, that it's through him that we can know reality as it actually is. And that's crucial. That's crucial for mental health. Psychiatrists will tell you that if you've got a mental illness or an addiction, the very first step is to acknowledge reality as it actually exists, even when it's hard. Jeff Myers, next. In his new book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis, Summit Ministries President Jeff Myers wants to encourage believers to live like Jesus really is the truth. In his book, he gives examples of what that looks like. Jeff first introduces to Summit Ministries and then why you wrote Truth Changes Everything. Yeah, well, Summit Ministries, we're we're the people who equip and support the rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. We have a beautiful 61-year history in this ministry, and Christian leaders such as James Dobson and Josh McDowell entrusted us with their kids over the years, and we've had uh, tens of thousands of young people go through our two-week training courses that we have here in Colorado and also in Kentucky and in Georgia and then curriculum courses that we use in Christian schools and homeschools and churches around the country, all with the purpose of of helping young adults develop a biblical worldview, not just because we believe we have the truth and we want everybody else to admit that. It's because we believe that a biblical worldview is the truth and sets us free from the anxiety and the depression and the aimlessness that seems so common in this generation. And so uh, why did you write Truth Changes Everything? I I wrote the book because I had observed, as many people have, that we've undergone a shift in this country. In the past, people believed that truth existed and that you could find it. You would have to seek for it, and it would be hard, but you could find it. The shift now is to the place where the majority of people believe that truth is up to the individual that there is no truth out there that can be found. And it's not just the truth of things like what makes a good country, it's the truth of what makes a good life. And people now tend to believe that it's all up to them, that they're, that the compass, ha- the red needle on the compass has to point toward them, and that way they will never be lost. Um, unfortunately, if the compass needle's always pointing toward you, you probably are lost. <laughs> Because the entire idea of truth is that there's something bigger than us, something outside of us that we need to recognize and respond to. So as believers, we need to recognize what that truth is. We need to look at how Jesus followers who believed that Jesus is the truth changed the course of history. And then in that heritage, apply that to our own times of crisis. Now, uh, early on in your book, uh, Jeff, you talk about how this book arose out of a very personal time, uh, out of your own personal crisis out of your fight against cancer. And if you could talk about that and what it was about that time that caused you to think about truth and these kind of things. Anyone who's gone through a time of suffering when they realize their life might come to an end begins to view every single day differently. You 
your phone conversations with someone are different because you realize this might be the last conversation you have. And for authors, it, it, it's also true. I, I was, had this book contract and was asking the question, if this is the last book I ever get to write, is this what I want to write about? Now, I have now been 20 months in remission from cancer. Mm, wonderful. But that impulse to see every single day as a gift remains. That for some, some reason, the, going through that experience has changed not how I see the truth, but my desire to get the word out and to help people see that truth isn't just a set of logical propositions. It's not just a mathematical formula. It's a person. It's Jesus. You know, John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that was created in him was life. And that life was the light of men. You know, the word word there in Greek is the word logos. A lot of people have heard sermons about that in the past, but the Greeks viewed logos as the obviousness of reality. You know, if you if you are going along a path and all of a sudden you see a 30-foot drop-off, you have a decision to make. Do you step out and think feelings of upness yeah. or do you find another path? Because you know that if you step out, you're going down. You don't violate the law of gravity. You prove it. Well, in the same way that the Greeks saw that there was an obviousness to reality, Scripture tells us through the writings of the Apostle John that Jesus is that reality that it's through him that we can know reality as it actually is. And that's crucial. That's crucial for mental health. Psychiatrists will tell you that if you've got a mental illness or an addiction, the very first step is to acknowledge reality as it actually exists, even when it's hard. That is the beginning point of healing. And I believe it's also the beginning point of healing for societies. Uh, I did want to ask you, as, as we move into the discussion of your book, and I neglected to ask this, that uh, while you are the president of Summit Ministries today, when you were young, you yourself were influenced by Summit. Uh, exactly, yes. This this ministry has had a profound impact on my own life personally. In high school, uh, I was in a small church, and I knew the people there loved me, but I couldn't get answers to my big questions about God and creation and truth and is the bible true why would we believe that we have to respond to it why should it have authority and so i had pretty much decided that when i graduated from high school i was also going to graduate from church well probably 70% of young people today have that experience 70% approximately of those who were significantly involved in church in their high school years are no longer even attending church by the time they reach their mid-20s. They've lost the plot. So coming to Summit Ministries was a huge uh, change point for me because I met Dr. David Noble, the founder of the ministry. I said to him as a young high school student, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and he said, at Summit, we aren't afraid of questions. Well, you, you can imagine what a breakthrough that was. Mm -hmm. Here are people who want to understand their faith at a deep level. They, they believe that not only does our faith give us a personal assurance of salvation, but it also changes the way we see everything else. Our theology changes our understanding of 
philosophy, our, our, our knowledge of reality, which changes how we understand what's right and wrong, which changes how we understand what makes a good society, which changes how we understand what makes a good economic structure. All of those things proceed from the truth. And I believe that the Bible reveals that truth to us more fully and in a more a profound way that in, that unleashes human flourishing. Well, the book is Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. My guest is Dr. Jeff Myers, the author. He's president of Summit Ministries. And uh, as I understand it, well, you, you state it right at the beginning of the book, uh, Jeff, that uh, you have two main big goals in the book. Hey, tell mm -hmm. us what those are. Well, the first one is to talk about how we know that truth actually exists. And the second is to talk about Jesus followers who believed that Jesus is the truth, who changed the course of the world in science, in our understanding of human value, in medical care, in the arts, in politics, in justice, even in how we understand the nature of the work that we do while we're here on this earth. So, you, you, and then truth, actually, you're looking at two different aspects that the difference between the truth, as you explained, the scripture says that Jesus, he's, he himself said he is the truth, but then our kind of juxtaposing that with our current, the current, if you will, the zeitgeist, the, the spirit of the age that says, well, there, there are many truths. Truth is what I feel it is. Right. Now, a lot of people are afraid of truth claims because they think, well, you know, everybody who claims to know the truth ends up getting power and then they hurt other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the biblical understanding of truth is th not that you use it to gain power, but that as God reveals the truth to us through Jesus Christ, we're set free from the things that prevent us from flourishing. We're set free to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And that has happened. There are a lot of examples, but just the idea of the, the fact that humans have dignity, that's not the product of Greek philosophy. It's not the product of Roman democracy. Rome didn't even really have democracy in the way that we think of it. Unless you are a majority culture property-owning male, you had no rights. But it was Christians who came along believing that every human being has a soul, that we bear God's image, who lifted up the vulnerable and gave uh, understood that, that a good government secures the rights of all people. Jeff, and the subtitle of your book, uh, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis, you've been yeah. telling us about that, and I want to ask specifically about some of those people, but I'm wondering about part of that, that you're, you obviously, or do you believe that we're living in a time of crisis right now? I think we, we see a lot of crises that we face. Each group of people living on planet Earth through time has believed that they live in the worst possible time. Mm. And we do believe that we live in a time of crisis, but this is not the worst time of crisis that the world has ever faced. So I thought, you know, just for comparison's sake, I'm going to start during the Black Death, the bubonic plague, where a third to half of the people in Europe died in the most gruesome, painful way imaginable. That time of crisis makes our own times of crisis pale by comparison. And my question was, what happened in the wake of that? Because you would think 
that after a time of crisis that bad, people would say, clearly God has abandoned us, we're going to abandon him. But that isn't what happened. And so in the book, Truth Changes Everything, I share some stories that I found absolutely fascinating of how in the wake of the Black Death, people didn't see that God had abandoned them. They saw that God was with them through Jesus. And and his presence with them changed everything. Ultimately, through economics, you can see it in the art. My wife and I had the privilege to be in Italy, and we asked one of our tour guides, is there a difference between the art before the Black Death and after the Black mm. Death? And the, and the tour guide said, absolutely. It's very clear. And he started showing us different paintings in the Academia Museum in Florence. And we were able to see very clearly that people's understanding that Jesus is with us in our suffering changed how they did art. And well, then we began to ask the question, was that true in other areas of life as well? And so most of the book, Truth Changes Everything, consists of these incredible, encouraging stories of Jesus followers who just worked really hard to, to express their belief in Christ in the way they did science and everything else. Well, in terms of that black uh, that black death, the bubonic plague around 1350 Europe, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you, as you say, the, the, the survivors, some of them, rediscovered that ancient biblical truth that Jesus is the truth, and that, as you just explained, that that the influence on art and other aspects. How was it rediscovered? Well, let me just give you an example. Catherine of Siena is a, a very famous saint uh, in the Catholic Church, but a lot of Protestants aren't familiar with her story. She was a young woman who lived in Siena, and when the Black Death came, she was told by other people, come with us, we're escaping, we're getting out of the city, we don't want to die. And she said, oh, I'm not leaving, I'm moving toward the pain, not away from it. And they asked her, why? She said, well, Scripture tells us that Jesus sits with the suffering, and mm. I want to be with Jesus, so I will go and sit with the suffering. Her example inspired a whole medical care system. And even still today, even though the medical care system has been largely secularized, it was started by believers who believe that every human being bears God's image, and that when we treat those who are sick, even if they aren't going to make it, we affirm their dignity and our own and create a very different kind of culture. And it all goes back to uh, stories of just a few people, just like this young woman, Catherine, in Siena. Well, you have, you have obviously uh, numerous stories of such people, such Jesus followers that uh, God used to bring the truth, that Jesus is the truth, and how it transformed societies in, in various uh, spheres of life. Can you Touch on a, two or three others, just kind of give us a little bit of an overview. I know we don't have time to talk about all of them, but uh, a few others that are particularly meaningful to you? Uh, Bill, let me give an example from science, because a lot of people today believe there's a battle between science and religion, and that science is winning, and that religion is losing. Mm -hmm. This is an inaccurate summary of the difference between science and religion, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, who was a well-known, well-respected Jewish leader in London, said science takes things apart to see how they work. Religion puts things together to see what they mean. 
So there's not a battle between science and religion, and early scientists did not perceive that there was any such battle. In fact, they were coming out of a time when the Greek idea that the universe is eternal and therefore it never really came into existence, and the only way we can know it is through these mental concepts or ideals, what Plato called the forms, they, they began to react against that idea. They said, well, the world, according to scripture, actually came into existence. God created it. And it is rationally intelligible because it was made by someone who is rationally intelligent. Because there's order in the world, we can learn about the world and we, we can improve lives, our own lives and the lives of other people. So you go back to the early scientists and they very firmly believed oh, the world actually exists and it's it's understandable. If you do an experiment at time A and an experiment at time B, you're actually experimenting in the same world. That was nothing that the Greeks would ever have had confidence in. It was early Christians believing in creation who started modern science. In fact, the historian and sociologist Rodney Stark said of the 52 individuals whose discoveries and inventions constitute the development of modern science, all but one of them were Christians. Only one was an atheist. This hmm. is not the story that most students hear in universities. So they're often going off to college as Christians thinking, wow, I don't think my faith has anything really significant to contribute here. It's actually atheism that doesn't have anything significant to contribute. It is the Christian heritage that when we do science, we're involved in worship. We, this is the worship of the Most High God. Every class that we take in science is an opportunity to worship. Every class we take in everything is an opportunity to worship. And it was it was these biblical-minded Jesus followers who brought us to the place where all of these discoveries could be made that would improve lives for billion, of billions of people. Well, your book is Truth Changes Everything, Jeff, my guest, Dr. Jeff Myers. And, and to say that Jesus is the truth, as he said that he is— what does that mean for us? How does that change our lives on an individual level? And then, as you've been describing, then it begins to change the society the, from our family and outward. Well, it changes things, first of all, because we recognize that we bear God's image, that he made us in his image, and he made us to relate and to create. So all of the things that we do we can do in the worship of the one true God, knowing that we were made in his image. And even people who oppose us, they are also made in God's image. So we see them with dignity. It's not whether we agree with people or whether they agree to give us power that makes us value them. It's the fact that they were made in God's image. That single fact changes the course of history. The idea that human beings have souls, that we aren't just animals whose only goals are to reproduce and to survive for another day. But in fact, we've been given minds, and through our minds, we're able to come up with ideas that can make life better. So scripture says that when, when God was speaking with Abraham, talking about the promise that he was giving to him, he said, through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says, that that blessing that was given to Abraham is, is in part, at least, carried on through us. That So the, the way we live our lives should be a blessing to other people. And when we take that and do that at a small level in our own lives, even though there are 8 billion people on the planet and I'm just one, 
Mm-hmm. I lived that differently, and that actually changes the course of history. That's the biblical message. So anybody who's looking for courage, anybody who's looking for some sense of meaning in a time of crisis, anybody who loves to look back at the stories of people in the past and gain courage from them, I think would enjoy and appreciate uh, truth changes everything. Certainly, we can't we can't probe this real deeply, but obviously, in our current uh, climate, uh, many believe, probably more than half. I don't know what the statistics are, but the truth is individual. That we create our own truth. That what I believe uh, is my truth, and you have your truth, and so we can kind of coexist that way. But to actually say something is really true, objectively true, for many people, that's kind of arrogant. Or uh, how do you respond to that? I think a lot of people. To be fair, a lot of people, when they see folks proclaiming the truth, they see it as a power grab, Mm. and they don't want to have other people grab power over them. They do not want their individual sovereignty to be violated, and so they react with an allergic reaction to any proclamations of truth. The problem with it is that it's not about trying to gain power over other people. It's about living in reality, personally, in relationships, and in society. So that's what truth actually means. It's it's rea- Truth is reality. Truth is what actually is. Only when we acknowledge that can we, we live valued, productive lives. So when people say, I don't think there is such a thing as truth, I start with things that we probably can't agree on. So scientific facts, as an example, could we agree that water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit under normal atmospheric conditions at sea level? Mm -hmm. So yes, okay, yes, we can agree with that. So would it be reasonable for someone to say, well, maybe that's true for you, but my truth is different? No, that would not be a reasonable response to that. Can we agree there are historical facts? Yes. Can we agree that Martin Luther King was shot on April 4th, 1968? Well, we can actually go back and look at newspaper accounts and so forth and agree with that. It Mm. would not be a reasonable response for someone to say, well, maybe that's true in your culture, but in my culture, it's not true. (laughs) That wouldn't be a reasonable response. And then we move from there into moral facts. Can we agree that there is a difference between caring for abandoned puppies and torturing abandoned puppies? Yes, we can agree there is a difference between those two things and that one of them is much to be preferred to the other one. Mm -hmm. So those are the sorts of discussions that I have with people. And then I try to figure out what their objections are. If people are reacting against truth, what, what is it that's causing you to react that way? I mean, I know I'm facing from my window here, Pike National Forest. It's a million acres of pristine wilderness. If you go out there without a compass and without a topographical map, you could very quickly become lost. You need that compass, not to point the red needle toward yourself, but to point the red needle toward magnetic north. Then when you use that and orient your map, you can find your way, but not if you believe that the truth is found inside of yourself. Jeff, our time is going very quickly, I know, but you you write in your book that Christians today can breathe life into others through conversations. Uh, talk about that, if you would. How, how does that happen? You know, that, that chapter in the book came out of a conversation I had several years ago with a friend of mine, mentor. We met for breakfast, and he said, do you know that Jesus asked 288 questions in the Gospels? Mm. <laughs> and I said, 
you counted that? What a nerdy thing to do. And yeah. it, but it but his simple statement changed the course of my life. It changed how I view other people. It changed how I relate to others. In the same way that Jesus walked alongside his disciples, we can walk alongside others. And it's not just by telling them things, it's by asking things. So it's okay in a conversation if someone disagrees with you to ask, tell me more about that. How did you arrive at that conclusion? When you use that term justice or, or whatever mm -hmm. you're talking about, what is it that you mean? How is justice something we can actually know to exist or is that just our personal opinion? So by using questions, you can bring people to understand and acknowledge the truth. Even people who strongly disagree with you. So in the book, I just I give very practical suggestions that I've found uh, to be breakthroughs in my own life and that I teach to young adults. I try to get all of the young people I work with through Summit Ministries to see truth and relationship as two strands of a DNA double helix. And they intertwine together that we speak the truth always relationally and we always relate based on the truth. And when we do those things, then we have an influence that is for the good in our world. I think you uh, write, and I can't remember the exact statistic, but something like 75% of people today are hesitant or afraid to share their convictions. If we're familiar with the news and so on, you could see why that is the case, particularly if, if those convictions are Christian convictions. And yet, uh, as you've just been sharing, and you also share further in your book, there are quite a number of ways you, you suggest to uh, practice speaking up in a way that actually builds trust. And can you give an example or, or two of that? Uh, sure, yes. So at Summit Ministries, we do a lot of polling not because we're a polling company. We just want to understand the cultural moment that we're in. And anyone can go to summit.org, see at the top of the page a press link, and you can see some of the polls that we've done. Americans largely agree that the values found in the Bible are essential for a healthy American society. That's not something that you would hear in the news. And it's not something that most people will talk about. So we started asking, so... If you believe this truth, do you ever say anything? And half the people who believe that truth really exists never say anything. Hmm. They don't say anything because they don't want to give offense, they don't want to be canceled, or they feel that they don't know what to say. That's why I recommend starting with questions. You might know, not know all of the facts about your faith. You should learn them. Learning is essential. No civilization survives if it stops, if people stop learning. So you should continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to search for answers, learn to articulate those answers to other people, but also to ask questions just so that you can, you can relate to others who see things differently. There's, there's such power in profound questions. I tell people, if nothing else, just start with these five conversation altering words when you're in a conversation about a tough topic. Tell me more about that. Mm. There's no harm and letting the conversation play out because you're developing a relationship. And in the context of a relationship where you're focused on the truth, change begins to, to happen. And it's it's powerful and it's, it's positive. I literally do this every day. I mean, we're in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is a little hippie town right at the foot of Pikes Peak. Yeah. 
a diversity of beliefs would be common in our town, mm -hmm. to put it simply. And so when I'm interacting with my neighbors and with my friends, I'm always in the conversation of not only speaking the truth, but speaking in a way that helps people see the value and the beauty of truth. Both of those things matter. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Summit Ministries President Jeff Myers, author of the book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.